Seishura, the Music Explorers podcast. I'm Jim Jam. I'm Scoop Magoo. And um, we are back with our famous, world famous book club uh, segment where uh, we discuss uh, briefly a book about music. And um, we're not going to lie, this is a little bit outside our wheelhouse in some ways. Um, but Let's just get into it. We, we um, this week we talk. We're talking about um, deep listening, a composer's practice. I believe it's called by Pauline Oliveros. Um, and just a little background: Pauline Oliveros is an avant-garde composer. Uh, she was one of the first. Um, uh, she was like one of the, one of the founders of the San Francisco Tape Music Center, which is uh, a groundbreaking uh, group. You know, dedicated to very early electronic music. Um, and, you know, since that point, you know, she has been nothing but just a pioneer when it comes to just, uh, different forms of avant-garde music. And, uh, I mean, she, she, she has an amazing career. Uh, she passed away a few years ago now. Um, but she left behind just a, a hell of a legacy. And, uh, one of those legacies is, uh, a practice known as deep listening, which, um, basically is i i mean to, i think to put it simply is just being able to listen at the level of sound in a way you know just to to basically focus on sound and sort of the soundscape i.e sort of the sound that is going on around you even beyond what music there might be um for maybe other listeners might see a little connection between this and uh, 433 by John Cage. Uh, I, I certainly do, um, because they, they, the ideas are very similar. But I think with deep listening, you know, Pauline Oliver's kind of combined a bunch of things into one. Uh, you know, she was very spiritual, so she took in a lot of, like, you know, thoughts from Buddhism and, um, a lot of stuff that I think today would kind of fall under the category of, like, new age thinking, uh, and just kind of put all of this, her own philosophy, uh, meditation techniques, etc., into this one practice that is still being taught to this day. And so, um, this book is kind of a compilation of a bunch of different writings on the subject um yeah so i guess we might as well just get into it um i i'm just gonna say i and i I think this is probably the fairest assessment that we're gonna be because uh just warning ahead of time we're gonna get a we we might get a little negative a little bitchy um (laughs) so um (laughs) i i think that I don't think that the practice itself is bad, but this book is. I think that's probably the best way to put it because this isn't really a book in a way. It's like, okay, I, I, I guess if we, if we can really dive into this, because um, I took a bunch of different notes and I finally, after I finished it, I kind of put down one thing. And so there was this one phrase that was on my mind at the end of it. And it's a quote often attributed to Frank Zappa, but I'm not really sure of the exact source. But it's basically says, uh, writing about music 
is like dancing about architecture. <laughs> it, it, yeah. Like yeah, I know, right? And yeah. like, I, 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 I'm not in 100% agreement with that because I, I think there are some really cool books on music, but, you know, th- that's not really the point of it. It's more saying that, you know, you, you can't describe something that is intuitively felt. You know, you, you, you can't use sort of your knowledge and sort of your, uh, you know, almost like, you know, the right brain to try to, you know, understand something that's left brain almost or vice versa. I, I don't really, I never remember which one <laughs> it is, frankly. Yeah. Um, but just, I, I think that that's kind of the crux of this issue with this book is that it's describing something that you need to go out and do. And like, you know, so like, I feel like if we had gone out and actually done a deep listening class, uh, which I actually would really like to, uh, in all fairness, um, you know, I, I, I think our opinions would be a little bit different, but let's just open it up. Scott, um, what, what are your thoughts? What, like, what were you thinking when you started this? Like, but did you have any expectations or thoughts beginning this thing? Or did, did I spoil it for you uh, by <laughs> talking to you about no, it early it this was, week? Uh, that was a big... Re- I mean, I wasn't sure how I would feel. Uh, it was a little bit of a relief after I, I actually read it to know how you felt because as I was reading it, I just, I, I was like, I would have been so stressed to show up and talk about it if I didn't know how you felt. <laughs> this, I just, I had a really hard time. Honestly, I had a really hard time making it through, which is, I, so, is tough because it's so short. What, what uh, exactly what like was tough about it for you? Um, just c- kind of the lack of structure, I guess, because I, I, I think we should probably explain ahead of time that this book is kind of broken up into these different, I guess there's a couple of prefaces and introductions, which is never a good sign in my opinion about a book. Well, that, <laughs> but, so there, there, so, uh, I, I guess I'll, I'll take your approach I'll start and try to be fair, uh, in, I think I suggested reading this book just because Deep listening has taken on a new connotation in today's musical landscape. Uh, it's kind of been accelerated by COVID in a way, is that people just yeah, have but more... I, I mean, so, sorry to interrupt you just straight off like that, like real dick move on my part. Um, but I, I feel like the term deep listening almost is... I feel like we're talking about almost two different things sometimes because I feel like deep listening with capital, like capitalized deep listening is like kind of the practice that she's trying to instill here whereas like i think the deep listening that we're talking about is simply just sitting down and making the music that you're listening to your only thing as opposed to kind of you know having it in the background yeah i I guess i guess maybe active listening is is a better uh term that we, we should be using here just to make it a little less confusing yeah, for sure. And actually, I mean, it's it's good that you mentioned that because that was exactly the the path I was going to go down. Is that yeah. uh, I think just a, you know friends in my my group have referred to it as deep listening, but generally it's you know since this book was compiled because um, it, it was a few different dates on the different yeah passages. The, the, there are a bunch of different parts that are from you know many years yeah uh, ra- ranging from like the seventies I think until like the two thousands yeah I think you know it was primarily compiled early early 2000s so you know a little bit is 
a little bit of time has passed and a lot has changed and we're more distracted than ever and you know in some ways our listening takes place on devices that are almost tailor-made to distract us so i mm. think the current meaning of what attracted me to this this concept is the idea of just actually sitting down and listening to a record which you know in the past was not weird because that you know we did not have all our screens we did not have you know all the the different advancements we have now you know and today it's, it's a little bit different so that's what drew me to it um and kind of to your point it wasn't exactly that which I, I guess i should have guessed since it was written at a different time uh but to be fair to have to take a fair angle uh i'm just i'm not a very spiritual person so it was hard for me personally to relate you know i, I think a yeah lot, you know she, she, she kind of tries to draw the distinction between deep listening and meditation but there are a lot of parallels i mean obviously there are some differences there are some unique aspects but there like you said there's a lot of things taken from um like buddhism zen you know there's a there's a lot of of overlap there um and and maybe i i maybe again it's just from our own perspective i felt like a lot of this wasn't it wasn't super i don't know i mean I'm, i don't want to be too it just didn't feel very groundbreaking to me i just it felt kind yeah. of yeah like it felt like as i was reading it i'm like that just that feels kind of obvious or, or i don't know that this, yeah I, did, I was so, expecting something a little bit more just a little bit more i guess yeah I, I i think when because i've known about this book for a few years now and i've always kind of gone back and forth until um uh, i actually watched this video uh from uh sarah bell reed who's a uh composer and like um electronic musician um and she talked about this book and how inspirational it was to her um i don't really see what she saw in it frankly but um like i i guess i was thinking that it would be something more akin to like not necessarily like a self-help book but like you know something that is actively talking about this process but i, so, I real think real quick i'm really glad you said that because honestly this felt more like a self-help book to me. See, or like it, I, it felt more I, in that I, genre to me. So as someone who has read many of many self-help books um, in the past and has dabbled very infrequently in sort of what's called like New Age, um, I, I even feel gross even thinking about it, frankly. I'm really not a big fan of, of New Age thought. Mm. But I, I, th that's not really a conversation for right now. But I feel like this book does a disservice to self-help books because <laughs> self-help books actually talk about their subject matter in depth and they go into the little particulars of it whereas this is like this is kind of like a syllabus almost um like at yeah. least the so probably the main text if you Ooh, can consider any part of it the main text so, sorry again but that yeah. is a really good that's a really good word choice like you're totally right Oh my god, this really did feel like a syllabus. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, because it's just like, you know, um, so I, I guess because, yeah, before we kind of got a little uh, wound down a different avenue of thought, um, I was going to say that the book is kind of divided into these different sections. Uh, there's kind of like this whole preface and introduction section, which I, I do recommend people you know, if they can find it, read Pauline Oliveros' introduction, because I think it's really interesting, and I think it probably gets to the heart of what she's trying to talk about in this entire book better than the entire book. 
uh, just talking about sort of these ideas of like, you know, simply just listening and, you know, kind of um, thinking about soundscapes and, you know, she, she said this one line that I really liked that it was like, there are a lot of composers who can hear, but they don't really listen well. And yeah. she, she made a good point of like kind of discerning between listening and hearing, which again, like I think that this, this introduction is really cool. I thought it was yeah. really well written and everything. And, and, uh, that, there, and that's something we've talked about a lot in the past. And that's what I was actually feeling a little, uh, I, I didn't care so much for the, the preface. It felt it yeah. was a little, a little weird, like a little, I don't know. Well, it, there is a part of, uh, there is one part of the preface where she kind of goes over her entire career, which I, I think is really interesting, but I think could come off as kind of self-serving. But yeah. I mean, at the same time, she has an amazing career. Yeah. I meant um, whoever, I think it was one of her students, or one of her colleagues who wrote oh, the yeah. preface. It was a little verbose. It was a little over yeah, the see, top. The, like, that's kind of the issue with these type of books. And like, if you read a book about spirituality, that's not like some translation of like a Buddhist text. It, it often kind of feels like, um, you know, uh, un, um, like, like adulation, like a, like a serious, uh, almost like a hagiography almost. Um, but anyway, so you, you've got this, you've got this preface set up, then you've got, uh, I mean, what we call like kind of the syllabus of, um, uh, Pauline Oliver's kind of talking about, uh, for some okay, for, sorry. For, for some reason, my microphone uh, levels keep going up, uh, which has been a problem as of late in my copy of GarageBand. I don't know why, but anyway. Um, <laughs> so yeah, they, she talks about the syllabus part that is kind of this. Uh, you know, she she describes. Oh my god, here I, it keeps doing this to me. Oh my god, uh, I'm sorry because I I feel like half of my eye is going to be clipped now. But um, yeah, so she talks about. Uh, this deep listening class and sort of goes over the constituents of it and sort of the different parts of it where like, you know, there's a lot of like group work, a lot of like what she calls energy work, you know, just kind of like yoga and things like that, which is, you know, I'm not the biggest fan of, frankly, but kind of cool. But it's really just described, you know, it's more like it's kind of like a syllabus or a brochure even for deep listening as opposed to actually being something that you can use as a foundation for your own learning. Mm-hmm. Um, and following this section is kind of like a hodgepodge of different things. She has like these, I don't know, she calls them exercises, but they're more like, th- this is going to be a weird pull, but it kind of reminds me of um, the early Fluxus movement, if you're familiar with that, where like um, you kind of had these odd performance art things you know, like, I, I, I think Lamont Young, uh, I mean, I, I guess he was kind of pre-Fluxus, but, like, there was a composition that he did that, like, literally the directions were just, like, draw a line on the floor and follow it. Like, it's something to that extent. Like, it just kind of reminded me of that, because, like, half of these were just, like, think about the sounds that make your scalp tingle. I, you know? And, yeah, and again, <laughs> like, like uh, not that there is no inherent value in the exercise well, first of all it just it wasn't it wasn't a compelling read i think that that was that yeah. was just for it, like on an actual physical i am reading this book basis yeah it no, just, it's, the, the structure it, was very be, be, odd because it's it, it's just way. like it's kind of like a poor introduction to something that needs to be experienced 
that yeah, you know exactly. like I don't know, it, it's it's like the difference between like taking a music appreciation class and actually taking a band class where you're learning an instrument yeah exactly so you know, i mean i guess just from the reading perspective that was kind of my experience after, yeah after me, oh, intro was me too but i think also again to circle back to my own headspace and who i am as a as a person uh, i'm just a lot of this like talking about like energy and chi that's just not so i mean again yeah I, me, it, me, me it, too it, honestly if you if you believe that that is totally fine i, I would never judge anyone's personal beliefs just personally uh, and actually i feel like i would benefit a lot from meditation i have always had a really really tough time like fo- like I, i've tried on multiple occasions over the years to like me meditate, too and it's just it's like i think there's value in it and i think that some of the things that are presented in this book are, are really you know actually yoga at one point when we were at school there was a yoga class they sponsored that i tried uh, and i liked the idea of it but unfortunately i was the only guy and i felt i got some <laughs> i got some vibes where people you know they I felt like I was silently judged for my intentions of being in an all women's yeah. class, but like I genuinely just—I mean, I have terrible posture, bad whatever. Um, and also, the last class I attended, there was like a, uh, like a you know, a visionary, a visionary exercise, and it was all—it was a very maternal and like feminine language, and I just felt really like okay, I'm not—I don't belong. <laughs> But all that to say, Come on, that, Scott, you didn't give them time <laughs> to get in touch with your inner goddess. I mean, honestly, it was worded maybe a little bit less on the nose than that, but that's kind of the route we were going down. Uh, you know what? Okay, not to not to go totally off topic, but this reminds me of. Um, do you remember that South Park episode where um, Cartman uh, is is going on about like how he finally got his period? I, <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember that one. Yeah, yeah. And, like, uh, Kenny gets his, too, and things like that. But it just turns out that they all have, like, a parasite that causes them to bleed out the ass. <laughs> but oh but they God. get all uh, on about, like, meeting and talking about, like, their inner goddesses and stuff like that. It's the funniest thing. Um, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> but, yeah, I guess there's no good way to segue from that. But uh, <laughs> No, there isn't. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> but... I, I think part of it, I think I at least personally set myself up to, to fail here because, again, this was written at a different time from where we are. And I feel like the way music is consumed has changed so much because, I mean, deep listening is pretty simple nowadays, or at least the, you know, the way active listening, like you said, and yeah. that distinction between hearing and listening we've talked about before is really important, you know, but again, it's it's the do it like the concept is relatively easy just sit down put on a record See, and listen to it but the that, act sorry like that was always the thing that i was thinking while i was reading this i'm like why does this why do we need a book to know how to sit down and just listen to a fucking album <laughs> exactly and i think yeah. what's what's in, what's always interesting or what's interesting about the thought now is that the fact that it is a, like a thing that people are actively trying to do because we just don't do that in our culture anymore. Like music has become further; it's become less and less of a an active an activity. It's just it's become yeah. something that's in the background. You you play it, and then I you know I started thinking, does me putting on a CD and driving does that count? I mean, I would say probably not. I mean, it's probably the closest thing I do to active listening on a regular basis. But it is I, interesting how like my parents. It's an interesting gray area for sure. Yeah, like when my parents were my age, they would just sit around put on an album and listen to it that was like that was an actual activity whereas you know that's just not something that 
we do now. It's, it's just it's not. Yeah, I you know it's it it is very rare nowadays, or at least see I don't know if it's necessarily rare, but it's not well talked about. You know, it's mm-hmm. not discussed as much as maybe it should be. Um, yeah, the, the the driving thing gets me thinking because like. You know, on one hand, you know, I, I feel like through the act of actually driving, you know, you're kind of shutting your mind off mm-hmm. in a way. And so I feel like you're almost being more attentive in a way to the music because you're kind of being trying to be attentive to everything around you. Um, but I, I I mean, it's definitely a gray area for sure, because I mean, I, there have been times that like I've listened to stuff that like, you know, the car that I just forget about. <laughs> so it, mm-hmm. it really depends. Um, I, you know, I, I guess what, what really disappoints me about this book is that I, I felt like it could have been something really interesting. Like if, if Pauline Oliveris had actually really gone, if she, if she had expanded kind of her introduction a little bit and sort of, you know, assigned chapters and really dove in to these little points that she was making and sort of, instead of making this kind of like, you know, a brochure or like a syllabus, I feel like there'd be like a lot to gain here. Um, because the, there is, you know, I, is it, you, you don't necessarily need instruction to listen, but I, I think it's interesting to talk about the constituents, sort of the little details that make it up, you know? Um, and I, as I was reading this, one thing came out to me was that there is actually a book that talks about this and I think does it infinitely better than this book ever did and that's um it's called uh where the heart beats by uh kay larson and it's like it's like kind of uh a biography on sort of the early years of john cage but it's also uh about sort of uh john cage's relationship with zen and sort of zen's relationship with like art and music um and it's it's something i it's one of my favorite books actually um it's something i actually really think we should read on this podcast at some point even though it'll probably be i think it's going to be the third time i've read it now so um i i just think it's that good of a book but like like actually when i was reading this because it reminded me of the because when i first read this when i first read where the heart beats uh i was in grad school and uh i would have to uh walk about a mile and a half to get to my classes and it was this whole thing i had to go up a really big hill and uh i crossed like train tracks and things like that in a highway actually uh to get to even the school and um after there was one chapter in it that uh she was saying she's like you know like go out and just like listen to what happens around you almost and like i did that and it was it was one of the most profound experiences I've ever had that like I heard just, you know, kind of like the birds. I heard sort of the scratching of my own feet on the sidewalk and I would listen to sort of the rattle of an engine and sort of like when a, uh, when a fan belt in an engine needs to be replaced, kind of the whirring sound that that makes. Mm -hmm. And it all came together in this way that I can only describe as like, a natural symphony Mm. in a way just completely populated by just noise and sound around us and it was it was just amazing and so you know it's it just reminded me of that a lot because that's exactly what Pauline Olivares has in mind that you're not you know it's about 
really listening, not labeling what you're listening to, but rather letting it flow through and in, like into you. Yeah, absolutely. The one of my college class, I think freshman, it was either freshman or sophomore year, uh, we had to do a media fast where we just for 24 hours. Ooh, that's no a media, good idea. No media of any kind. And I think in, in the ultimate, you know, the paper I ultimately wrote, um, it really was interesting to me without media, how and this TV, music, anything, period, how quiet yet loud the world is. Mm. Is that just like there's so you're used to just the, the void being filled with something, anything at all time. You know, we used to go to the coffee shop, the TV's on or, you know, I would always just put my headphones in. Yet at the same time, like you're talking about, there's just so many, you know, whether it's nature or just the, you know, people, you know, machinery, cars, what have you. It's, it's really fascinating. And, and I think something I, or like a version of that I've done my entire life is, you know, my family goes camping a lot and just sitting in the morning with, you know, some coffee, uh, waiting for it because I always get up for people and just listening to <laughs> nature wake up is, is such a cool cool experience and i think yeah. that, that that's kind of what ultimately um i think was most disappointing by this book is i feel like the present while the presentation was lacking i mean the, the general idea and just you mean best summed up in her intro like we've said i mean there's there's true value to deep listening there's true value to the idea um that i think it's interesting how 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 weird it felt you know, like, like that media fest in particular, like it felt so strange to not be absorbing media because we just always do that. Um, yeah, uh, it, I totally get you. Like, uh, I mean, lately I, I've been watching just a ton of YouTube uh, because that's kind of my coping mechanism as of mm -hmm. late. Um, and I just, I, I, I don't want to go into it a ton, but I have been dealing with, a lot of anxiety um I, I, I a lot um that is just not good and um but i i ended up like you know there have been a lot of mornings lately that i've just woken up and just put on youtube because i just don't know what else to do with myself and um i've just been doing it so much that last week i was like just like, I just kind of sat there and I was watching some, like, you know, list video on, like, video games. And I just didn't give a shit about it at all. And I was, like, just, like, what the fuck am I doing? And, like, I ended up just getting up and, like, turning my iPad completely off and just sticking it in a drawer in my nightstand. Uh, and didn't come back to it, like, until, like, that night. And it was a really amazing day without it, you know? And I'm not... I think it's really easy for us to, you know, kind of get all like, you know, ludite a little bit w with this, you know, conversation. But I, that's not really my point. I think it's more just like to be able to listen and to be able to really take things in with a sense of awareness is, I think, kind of the point here. And you can do that with music, you know, it's not necessarily like you just have to listen to all the sounds of your neighborhood. Or just like birds chirping, mm -hmm. like um, you know, I I actually yesterday uh, again a lot of anxiety, so I ended up a, uh, just sitting down and uh, listening to Twenty Two A Million by Bonavere. Mm -hmm. um, 
because it was just like kind of like a shorter record and i it was it was just a magical experience too like you know the, there were points that i was like uh, like i like tears in my eyes a little bit because it was just like just some of that like it it, it kind of got me back into thinking like this is music like this is what music's like and it's like we take it for granted so much like and it's just it's such a beautiful amazing thing and i mean it saved my life countless times Mm -hmm. and it's just like it goes wasted sometimes (laughs) i guess and and i I think it's just because we i mean i guess speaking personally it's we're just so used to the silence being filled on a constant yeah. basis. I mean, obviously, I, I live in a pretty rural area, uh, but if you live in the city, I mean, you can't you can't go outside without hearing, you know, being filled with media that's filling the space. And you're you're again the distinction between hearing and listening. Like you're you're not really listening to it. You're not really engaging with yeah, it. You're you, just kind you, of you're aware that it's there, but you're not really paying any attention to it. Yeah, exactly. And I do the exact. You know, for, for me. You know, I, I do the exact same thing with YouTube is, is, you know, if I'm just, you know, bored or if I have a particularly extended depressive episode, I'll, I'll just, you know, watch. I mean, I think last night I was super bored. I, I just watched a series of YouTube videos about, um, someone had balanced a piece of bread and just <laughs> time lapsed and watched it eventually just bonk, like fall over and, and make a sound on the table. That was it. And just to see, like, one was, like, a, a waffle. One was a burnt waffle. Like, again, just, like, just we were so used to being able to fill, <laughs> fill our boredom so easily. Um, but I think another interesting thing that, that I've noticed, when I'm particularly, like, in a bad space mentally, I will go back to all of the crappy, you know, really direct, you know, cotton candy-esque, you know, deathcore, post-hardcore metalcore that I used to listen to <laughs> in high school and college. Just because it's, it's instant gratification. Uh, yeah, it's, it's just so much easier to to just put that on. It, like, don't have to think about it. This is music I've, I heard a ton of times, and that's something I've I've heard a lot, or something I wrote in my media fast is that you know it's kind of the we often blame like our phones and our technology, but it, it's how we interact with it. You know, I, I could be watching. Um, YouTube videos about like quantum mechanics or like watching like enriching content and like all the time on my phone instead of watching you know videos of bread falling over you know what yeah I mean? like it just it's it's all about how you use it. like like it's not it's not necessarily yeah um, it, it, it's a tool and a tool is yeah. not inherent it's it's like inherently neutral you know because you can use a, you know a V two rocket you know to try to bomb the allies or you know. You could also use the same technology to go to the moon. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And I, th- I think, you know, this is something we, we've talked about, or, like, I, I think I talked about, either it was in our year review recap or in our, you know, music resolutions um, preview, but I think something I learned about, or something I honed in on a lot with this past year is the whole quantity over quality debate is that I was so hell-bent on getting to a thousand albums that I would just listen mm. to any demo or EP or album that I found even halfway interesting and this year I, I've, I've really tried to take a different approach you know I really have been wanting to get into listening to podcasts more I've been wanting to you know listen to more of my CDs and records and and I still listen to new music but I focus on the new music that really really interests me you know I've just kind of 
not actively tried to listen to less new music, but whenever like release day comes, I'll, I'll kind of raise my bar a little bit. You know, yeah. I, I won't necessarily just put it on just because I need to listen to as many new releases as I need to, and then I'll actually go back and do a couple listens on release day to the same album just to really dive into it. And I, I think that's the underlying idea that before we we read this and, and what still interests me after is is that idea of hearing versus listening. I think that, yeah. that is, is such an I, impactful distinction. It, um, and, and I think that, you know, in a way, because we've been able to have this conversation and we've been able to sort of grasp these thoughts a little more, you could almost say that deep listening is a good book, or at least that our experience was in some way positive because... I mean, I, I feel like it's kind of a long shot because I would not recommend anyone read this book, frankly. Um, but, you know, just to, I, I think just to be able to have a conversation like this is is immensely rewarding. Um, speaking of, though, because we, we did have kind of a second kind of an add on to this because we weren't really sure of how long we'd be able to talk about this. Um, did you ever get a chance to listen to the album Deep Listening? I did. I, I thought. Yeah. I thought. You know, it's interesting. Is if this exercise, like if it was an exercise in a music class where it was just her intro as an essay, and then you listen to the album, I feel like that would have driven home. Yeah. The point. <laughs> more exactly. Than the full, the full Do, are piece. you familiar with the uh, the story behind this album? By uh, any not not probably not as much as you are. So you probably. I, I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm by no means an expert, uh, but. So um, it's recorded by it says Pauline Oliveros, uh, Stuart Dempster, I believe his name is, and uh, a man known as Panatois, I think is how you pronounce his name. That that's kind of like his nickname, but um, I think it was Dempster found a uh, cistern down in uh, I think it's in California um, that was so big that its reverb time was around like forty seconds, I think. Uh, which is just basically you make a snap and you are going to keep hearing sound for 40 seconds, basically, to, to, to really dumb down reverb in a way. Um, and so they've recorded just an entire album down there with like all these different microphones. And I, I, I mean, I, I first listened to this last year uh, when we did a genre, like ambient exploration genre. Uh, the an ambient genre exploration <laughs> that one <laughs> yeah i know <laughs> you see where my brain is right now um and it, it, it's an amazing album i i highly recommend people listen to it because like the first track lear it's like almost 20 minutes of just like it, it sounds like dark ambient music before dark ambient music was even like a thing almost um it's really interesting uh you know i i, I guess uh, Pauline Oliveros is known for playing um, uh, accordion of, of all instruments. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess this is, I, I guess she uses just intonation for her accordion as well, which is, I, I, I'm not even going to get into that. That's a whole thing. Um, but, you know, you can hear little bits of it, but it's so interesting to hear how recording in such a space completely alters like the timbre of the sound in a way. Yeah, uh, it, it was really cool, and uh, I mean, so I, I guess if I really enjoyed the album, I I really want to get a copy of it. But uh, the only one I could find that was you know a price that I was willing to pay 
was I think Amazon, and for some reason the seller's name was Paulina Oliveros. So that whole thing kind of weirded me out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I feel like they might have probably just made their account. That would yeah, be, be one hell of a coincidence. But 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 it's also like there was also no cover artwork even on Amazon. Um, and I don't know, just the whole experience really was like kind of fishy. And I just didn't feel comfortable taking that shot. Not to mention, I really don't want to give Amazon any money. Um, to yeah. be totally honest, yeah. it's, it's only out of necessity that I do it at times. Um, but you know, I, I guess my, my only fault with the album is, uh, I think the last track can be at times a little, uh, unnecessary because it, it kind of takes like, like the first, the other three are really very musical. Whereas like the last one is, is more percussive, you know, it's, it's not as melodic it's more like they're just like kind of banging things around in the cistern, which is cool in its own way. But after the beauty of the last three tracks, it just yeah. pales in comparison. So yeah. I, I, I don't know if you had noticed any of that when you were listening to it, but yeah. And I, um, Sorry, I'm waiting for people to calm down a little bit. I don't know if you can hear. No, you, you, um, your, your dog is adding her, you know, thoughts on deep listening. Yeah, indeed she is. Um, but, yeah, but, but, but they, they mostly include, why aren't you deep listening to me? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I just kind of put it on. I tried as best as possible. Um, I mean, I put it on while I was doing chores around the house so I was kind of just doing menial tasks which I felt like was the closest I could come to deep listening um, <laughs> but I, I, I really enjoyed it I, I loved what I heard I definitely you know I think that the um, like you said it, it, I noticed it I noticed there was something unique about the sound or something I liked about it and then looking into it I was like oh okay that makes sense in terms of where they recorded it Mm. Um, but it was really cool for a an ambient album. I, I definitely I liked the the textures. I agree that it, it was definitely more on the, the dark ambient end of the spectrum, which is something that's a little. I mean, th this came out in, in the seventies, yeah, 80s, exactly. Maybe? So for for that time yeah. period, it was. I mean, this is something you might expect to hear or like not something I would expect to hear. I mean, when I think of yeah. electronic music back I, then, I, I mean, I, I think of it as like unintentionally dark ambient yeah because because i i really don't think that the genre really became a thing until like lost mord uh you know started making music mm -hmm. um but you know hearsay um yeah it, it's definitely it's an interesting album I, I i think what's almost more interesting is now talking about ambient music in relation to like active listening because, you know, we, we always go back to Brian Eno's definition of, like, ambient music being something that you, you know, can kind of not pay attention to, in a way. Um, it, and it's actually, it, there's a really weird history of composers actively composing for people, like, in, in ways that aren't specifically active listening. Um, like specifically, um, Eric Satie uh, has a piece called uh, "Vexations" that mm -hmm. is like 
I don't know, it's it's it supposedly takes like a day or like over a day to play in its entirety. But it, it it's kind of like meant to like be boring almost. And like they, they, there are just some really interesting you know, music composed around this idea of active versus passive listening. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, it, it, it's it's really fascinating. I, I don't think I would have the patience to listen to Vexations. Because um, it just reminds me of those those Warhol films that are just like, you know, someone's face for 48 hours. So, yeah. <laughs> but, but, but that's the thing. I mean, my biggest takeaway wasn't necessarily the music. It was just that I felt like even just the thought of sitting down and listening to an album without like anything you know anything else even if i'm just like playing chess on an app on my phone or something like mm. i just i just have not truly just sat down and listened to like to me i mean again it's maybe just how my brain is wired just how it's evolved over time with technology that like i i, I, I think have... it's it anybody can do it i honestly think that anybody can do it um i actually have some tips if you want to hear any yeah i, I mean again um, just to clarify it's not i mean i totally could do it just I think, yeah to me, what was striking is just how it seemed like, oh, like just it was going to be so tough when really it's actually the easiest thing in the world is you, you, yeah. you put on but, but see, and the, like sit the, down. That's kind of the crux of it. It's just like meditation. Meditation yeah. is technically the easiest thing in the world because all you have to do is just let go and simply be in the moment. But we do not know how to do that. I definitely do not know how to do that. Yeah. Uh, however, you know, if there is one thing that we are as people, it is agents of change and we are able to change ourselves. And so, you know, similar to like, I mean, the, the, the brain's a muscle. So if you train that in certain ways, you will get better results. Mm-hmm. So it's the same thing with, with, you know, being an active listener. So like, you know, maybe it, like, I, I know I specifically picked out Bonavere uh, because it wasn't a long album. Uh, but it had enough in it that, you know, kind of would keep me going because, you know, sort of all the electronic elements in it and sort of the way, uh, you know, Justin Vernon was using textures and things like that in it. That Like, I chose that kind of, like, in a way just because I felt like it was a good idea. I mean, I, I also had been really wanting to listen to it again, too. Um, you know, it, it's one of those things, it's just like, like maybe it's not the best idea to put on like that three hour drone project, you know, <laughs> like, like put on something short and, you know, work up from there. So, <laughs> yeah, I will say the, the, the last time I remember, maybe not the last time, but like a, a particularly memorable instance of, of deep listening or, or active listening, I guess it'd be more accurate to say, uh, was we were vacationing as a family at a, a lake house we rented. Um, and I think this was, college one of my college breaks uh and i just had my headphones and i put on um dark side of the moon mm. and i just like stood on the dock and it was it was dark and it, you know the, the, the sky was beautiful really clear in the lakes region you know lake water is beautiful and just listened and that was that was awesome like that was a really cool experience i think specifically if i think i put on us and them Specifically, which is one of my uh, one of yes, yeah, one of my all time favorite, favorite Pink Floyd songs, but it it's a different component. It's it's, it's a di- it adds a different element to it. And actually, what's funny yeah. is, you know, 
my dad actually came down and scared me. Like not not like he was trying to. He just was like, "Hey, like, what are you doing?" Like he was so like confused. And I was like, "Oh, I'm just listening." He's like, "You're just sitting here and listening." Like he was so like he thought something was wrong. Like, are you okay? Like, you know, are you feeling okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm just just like sit. Like it kind of spoke even someone who grew up with. I mean, not that he probably would view it like this. But someone who grew up with the idea of just listening to an album to listen to it. Like to him, it was so weird that like his millennial son was sitting there doing the same thing so. i mean i see i i feel like a lot of people of that generation don't like i i think they've more followed in our stead as opposed to like the other way around that like i feel like they're just as distracted as we are if not more so um <laughs> but it. that just reminds me of a great story when you remember when pokemon go was a big craze <laughs> I, are we going to talk about uh, Pokemon Go to the polls or? <laughs> no, absolutely not. But thank good, you for, good. That, that that is such an amazing, I mean, amazing. And, big, that's big, just an big, embarrassment. Big air quotes. But, but anyway, yeah. uh, there was a story in the news about about Pokemon Go, like people you know getting out, and my dad was like, "Oh, what a bunch of like you just what a bunch of morons! Like what a dumb thing." Meanwhile, he's sitting there on the couch, looking down at his. He plays like a fantasy game on his tablet. He's playing, like, playing it on, on his tablet while watching TV. And I'm just like, so, I mean, at least they're out, like, exercising. Like, at least they're out yeah, doing it, something. they're out exercising yeah. and possibly getting murdered and hit by cars. Yeah, but... like, I'm not, like, not going to endorse Pokemon <laughs> yeah. Go, but just it, it is interesting how, like, technology has really shaped a generation that, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's so funny when, when people, uh, like, I, I know Lauren's mom will talk about how we're addicted to our phones and she'll, like, poke fun at us. You know, we go on a walk and I check my phone. Like, this weekend I was checking my March Madness bracket, which uh, is a disaster, by the way. But anyway, <laughs> um, and she was like, oh, everyone's glued to the phone. But then, of course, we got home, like, everyone was looking. Like, just everyone in the family was looking. That's just what we yeah. do. It's just... It, 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 it's it's a very, like, people don't realize how widespread it is because it's just so automatic now. Exactly. Um, and I think that's ultimately why I was attracted to this con even if the book wasn't exactly what I expected, I still think this concept is super interesting. And in yeah, like definitely. we said earlier, is the fact that something so simple seems so strange and difficult just because we're just so unaccustomed to approaching music like like that. Yeah, definitely. Or we become, um, become unaccustomed rather. Obviously yeah. it wasn't always the case. I so I guess I I mean I don't really have a really anything more to say. Uh, and if you don't have anything more to say, do you just want to move on to uh, albums of the week? Yes, I yes. do. Okay, well then bring it on. What you got? I'm very excited. So we went down to visit Lawrence family in Connecticut, and uh, I was turned on to Red Scroll Records by uh, Fantano. Actually, he uh, one of his earliest record story videos. He talked about going there, and so when Laura and I were first, you know, first got together, I said, oh, let's go, let's go visit it. I mean, it's a little bit of a hike, but not too far. Just a mm. great, great selection. And one of my favorite things about their selection is that they have $3 UCDs, period, point blank. I mean, uh, the, the downside is that they're just literally thrown, you know, boxes and shelves completely un unalphabetized, unorganized whatsoever. So you really have to dig through them, but, and, and there are plenty of, I think I sent you, there are like, musical sound like old musical soundtracks and like Barbra Streisand CDs and stuff yeah, like that yeah like, which I'm still mad that you didn't get any of those um. like there are diamonds in the rough but to be there is a lot of rough and it's very unorganized but I, I found a ton of great stuff and as I was looking I did a double take because I stumbled upon an album that it's like a like a 
kind of a hidden gem, underrated death metal album from the '90s that I just I couldn't believe it was there for three dollars. Like it just it, it's it, it was such a <laughs> it was one of my favorite finds ever, just because I couldn't I couldn't believe that I, I something that I've been looking for forever that's been out of print forever. Um, is just right there in front of me. And it, it, it is, kind of like that suffocation album, almost. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it only beats it just because it was three. You know, like the fat, the the price <laughs> of it was you know hard to beat. But uh, yeah. it is "Slumber of Sullen Eyes" by Demigod, which is really really cool cover. Uh, the guy in the front is absolutely ripped, which is one of my favorite parts <laughs> of it. It's like, um, it's so funny to me. Something that I think it was pointed out in Metal Headbangers Journey is that you know metal fans are so like kind of low-key homophobic and so like kind of <laughs> yeah but, but, but then but, there's so many but, like but but the entire like aesthetic of metal is like, like so blatantly homosexual yeah just like ultra yeah. masculine I, ultra like the leather or whatever it's funny you talk about this because um i've been listening to this podcast called uh the vinyl guide um it's like all it, it's basically like a record collector's podcast but they the guy who uh nate who who is the host he interviews a bunch of um musicians and um he i was i was listening to this one that he did with rob hofford from mm-hmm. uh, judas priest yeah and they, they're even talking about that too kind of just like the whole you know hellbent for leather type of thing yeah exactly and you know people are all about it but then you know I, you know i wasn't around when or like i was you I'm know what, you know what the crowning achievement of of that whole like you know, macho man type of aesthetic is is that uh, man of, like any man of war cover, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is like these like big ass pecked men, you know, <laughs> like like they, they they look like um uh you know how Captain America used to look in the nineties, yeah, <laughs> like like a big fucking fridge with muscles on them. <laughs> no, that's that, this is such a fun diversion because I that was yeah. just an offhand comment, but then it became a fun. Uh, fun discussion. Yeah. But anyway, oh, good, good. So, you, you sent this over. Oh my god! Yes, this is a great cover. Yeah. I approve. <laughs> so, uh, Demigod. I think this is their only. They might have released another album like later, like they got back together in the two thousands. Um, but yeah, it's a really overlooked album. They're a Finnish death metal band, and it has that. It's interesting because it has that Swedish, like almost entombed, like buzzing you know, death metal, Swedish death metal sound, but it's yeah. not as, it's a little bit toned back and has a little bit more, I guess I'd say a little bit more flair and finesse. Like it has that energy and like heaviness, but is a little bit more restrained. It's kind of, it's, it's like the death metal compositional and, and technical stylings of maybe the Florida scene or like what was going on in the U S but it had the kind of the crunch and the heaviness of what was going on in, in Sweden. Interesting. Um, it, yeah. It's just, it's a really, Again, it was something, you know, when I was really diving into death metal, this was one of the deep cuts that people said is just super underrated. And I've always been interested in, in buying it. And, of course, on, on Discogs. Um, it's like hundreds of dollars or whatever. Uh, I don't I think it was somewhat manageable, but I just, I always try, like, I try to keep keep my purchases reasonable. Like, I really, I don't want to... Yeah, I, I don't I, want to go far. I, above. I totally understand. Yeah. There's a um, there's a box set of uh, Brian Fernieho's uh, string quartet compositions that is like over a hundred dollars, and I just look at that sometimes, especially with the uh, the latest uh, stimulus check, and mm. I'm just like, man, oh, like 
I want this so badly. <laughs> yeah. That's why, like, I, I definitely, I flexed my usual range on the, um, those three Mountain Goats collections that I bought. Yeah. Um, but still, I think for each of them, I paid around 20 bucks each, which is still a lot, but it's not too bad. But there were, like, I had a list of other EPs and compilations and demos from them that I wanted to get, and we're talking, like, at least 50 bucks, 100 bucks pop, and I'm like, I, yeah. just, I just can't. I can't I mean, justify that. I, I, I'll do it if I feel like it's worth it. Um, you know, but most of the time, yeah, I'm I'm with you. Yeah, but I mean, I've never heard of this album. Uh, but this is very interesting. It, so. it, it's kind of a shame, just because I don't. It's not like I, I think we should knock down one of the albums in like the death metal pantheon and say, it, but it, it's better than you know deicide for example right there like it's even better than their contemporaries like i just i think it deserves equal footing you know there's been a a few of these that i've listened to where i'm just like why wasn't this more Mm. acclaimed even um like everyone really fawns over a demolik they're also from finland i think their album is nespith Nespith? yeah i i I, I think I know who you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, that's like a super cult classic that everyone loves, and I, it's a great album. But I just I, I it, it disappoints me that Demigod doesn't get the same acclaim because I remember like at one point Decibel put out like their top 100 death metal albums, and I always gravitated to this album and, and thought it was really really good. Um, and uh, that, and I also really think Carnage Dark Recollections. Uh, it's kind of it's very much more so in the entombed Swedish death metal range and I, I might like it just as much or more than some of their albums so I, I really should just do a deep dive into like early death metal like at some point because I feel like I'm missing so much and, and I just I, I just I, I've been really in the mood for metal lately yeah. um, I, I I recently made a few purchases that I'm, I'm waiting to show up so I haven't I'm not gonna talk about them yet but I'm very excited for them um but yeah very nice very nice great um and what is your what is your album of the week yeah so (laughs) this was tough because i was listening to a lot of really great stuff you know i i had um uh set my heart on fire immediately on in the car and i I just like that album just oozes happiness for me even Mm -hmm. though it's not exactly a happy album it just it makes me happy Mm -hmm. listening to it because I just adore it that much. Um, there was also I I sent you this thing I was listening to this week that was really interesting. It, it was kind of like if Ape of Naples was like re-recorded by Bjork almost. Um, uh, but what took it away was uh, out of all things, uh, Replica by One of Tricks Point Never. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, which I've had this thing for I think a few years now, um, and I, I've always felt like it was okay. I, I, I think I just managed to get it cheap uh, one day online, um, but I've been working on this short story uh, to submit to a contest, and um, for some reason it just works really well with the story. Like, and I, it's just a. The more I listen to this thing, I've listened to like you know twice this week I think, which is really big for me because i'm not one to like listen to the same album you know that often within the span of a week um but it's so it's it's a bizarre album like it's kind of unsettling in a way like it it it, like i think i've have i talked about the movie videodrome on 
on this podcast at all because I feel like I have before. Um, uh, it sounds familiar. Yeah, it, Videodrome is like probably my favorite movie of all time. Uh, it's uh, a David Cronenberg film, and it's all about sort of like it, it, it's like television and body horror put together almost. It is like about like this. I, I can't even get into it. I, I we could honestly do a whole episode just talking about Videodrome because I, I'm just obsessed with that movie. But like, if they if somebody did a remake of it, like kind of like what they did with uh, Suspiria a few years ago, mm-hmm. like I could see Replica as being like the score for it because it's just that like there are just some tracks on it that are just like have like this surrealness to it that like kind of feels like vaporwave if like vaporwave was profoundly haunted mm-hmm. in a way which i mean i i i guess there is that i think it's called like what um i, I know there's a word for it and i can i don't really remember because i'm not that big of a vaporwave fan but yeah it uh like the, the track up specifically off of replica is really weird uh like it has just like this oh i it's very surreal. I think that's the thing with this whole album is just like it it kind of displaces you. Like you're still in the world, but everything looks different. It, it's it, it's just like and now like I I just it I love this album now, you know, much more than I ever did. And it's really gotten me interested in listening more deeply to uh other One of Tricks Point Never albums, especially um did you know that that he's like credited with like being like one of the first vaporwave artists? Yes, I yeah. I, I knew that. I don't because know. I, I didn't know that, and I he has this whole thing called is a Chuck Persons uh, Echo Jams, um, and I I really just want to listen to that at some point because I I don't know that that just sounds interesting to me, like because I I don't really think of him as a vaporwave artist. Um, yeah, it might be one of those situations of just like what they influence versus what they sound like. We talked about in well, episodes past. Um, yeah, I, I guess he's always been like, see, I, I even before I was, you know, kind of hesitant about him. I, I knew even back then when I like kind of had trouble even listening to Garden of Delete that like he was kind of like his own person like his own musician like in just a way that not a lot of producers can claim to be uh, just like so fundamentally out there that it's it's really interesting to see that how he's like this popular and how he managed to like show up on like a weekend album of all places so yeah you know, um, but I feel like has he said how he feels about being lumped in with vaporwave or being seen as a I, I really don't know. I mean, he definitely... It doesn't seem like it's something he's um, actively trying to promote because yeah. that, that album specifically used to be on his website and now it, it's not there anymore. Oh, uh, and the only way you can actually view it is on YouTube because just a bunch of people just uploaded it. Yeah. And even then, there are like different mixes of it because I think he remastered it at one point, which, again, throws more of a wrench into things. Um, <laughs> R.E., like, his stance towards the whole Vaporwave scene. So, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. Um, you so, know, we should really get get Pad Chennington on here uh, to talk about Vaporwave with us, because uh, he would be more of an expert than we ever would be. Uh, 
but anyway. <laughs> the limited I've, I've listened to Vaporwave, it's, it's very all the like the synth wave, chill wave, whatever. It, it's yeah. definitely it's very vibe, very aesthetic. I haven't dove into it a lot just because I feel like it kind of it feels like you're painting with the same brush a lot of the time. But I mean, it's a yeah, good, it's a good brush. The, it's, what it's what I've listened palette. to, I I've enjoyed. Um, yeah. it, it's just that like it's 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 a genre that feels difficult to kind of um, discern between you know cream and crap almost yeah. or at least maybe cream and meme if you will <laughs> it's, i mean it's, it's kind of like when i first got into black metal and uh everything that just kind of sounded in the sphere of like you know grim and cold and evil I yeah was like, oh this is my jam but now it's like super easy because i've listened to it so, so much of it i can hear it's actually the same thing with death metal it's just that if it was blast beats heavy fast i was like oh this is this is my jam, but now I can, you know, it's easier to discern, yeah, this is crap, this is good, whatever. Um, yeah. This is not great for our listening audience, which is everyone, um, but <laughs> I found this picture at some point where someone really effectively colorized the cover to Replica. I just sent it Oh, to you. right, yeah. I, you, it's, um, it's, that used to be your Facebook. It used uh, to be my cover photo, photo. yeah, just because yeah. it's so... I, I was actually thinking about this while I was listening to it because uh, I just remember how much you enjoy this album cover. Uh, but I also think about how, I don't know, I never feel like it like reflects, a, a, you know, pun, pun intended, I guess. I don't know. Um, re- reflects sort of the sound of the album. Like, I look at that album cover and it feels more like a horror, uh, you know, scene as opposed to like, something much more surreal but i also have read into this album very heavily with my own work so uh it's you know i I don't know if i'm exactly in a position to be uh even close to objective so (laughs) yeah it's interesting um i feel i feel like garden delete makes more sense as an album cover i definitely think the new one like I definitely get like one of Tricks Point Ever vibes, uh, Magic One yeah. Tricks Point Ever. The uh, age of though was like bizarre, uh, even for him. <laughs> I think with, my with, with just like the the MacBook Pro like slowly opening. Yeah. <laughs> yes, but that's always interesting when an out like I think one. I think the rapper Cage, had is very much into like almost emo, aesthetics. So when I, I mean, was aren't we all right? I, darkness but and when I was really in our basement <laughs> when I was really into that uh, uh, really into that scene like I started listening to it and it was just kind of like bad white white boy rap and I was like oh <laughs> so it's interesting when, when artists choose covers that just don't fit yeah. at all I, you know like, visual identity is definitely something we should talk about at some point yeah but, um, but, but then on the flip side when I like the album cover for Sunbather is so mm. good, like because it's supposed to be what you're, what you see when you look in the sun with your eyes closed, yeah. like that. That is just it. It totally fits. It, it, it just, it's it's, it's a, very interesting, very complimentary, complimentary. To, to see how you know visual identity affects sort of your view on the music and vice versa. Yeah, um, and I I know it's you can't totally discount an album for its album cover but I, I mean i think we've talked before that the amount of music that's out there it, i mean it, it plays a big part i think still yeah. yeah and it reflects i mean it's part of your artistic statement so if you have an incredibly shitty album cover then uh, yeah i don't know 
I will say that yeah. all of my favorite, I can't think of an album that I hold really dear that has a, like there's some albums I love where I don't love the album cover, but I can't think of an album I love where the album cover is like truly atrocious. Um, I, I could probably find a couple. Yeah, I'm um, sure. Like I'm just trying but... to think off the top of my head, but. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. I, I, I think we've gone off a little off the rails. Um, so I think we're going to end it here, but, um, thank you for listening. And we'll be back next week with our uh, roundup of uh, albums that came out this month. So, great. Uh, until then, bye bye. Bye. Thanks for listening, guys. And uh, if you're interested, uh, you know, if you want to hear more, just, you know, listen to us on uh, iTunes, Pod, Apple Podcasts, Android Podcasts, anywhere you can get a podcast, basically. Uh, We're on all of it. Uh, if you follow us on Anchor, too, you know, whatever works for you. And uh, definitely be sure to follow us on Twitter. And if you ever have any suggestions, topics you want us to talk about or questions, anything like that. Uh, be sure to email us. Yeah, uh, we're at, at Seishira Podcast on Twitter, and our email, I think, is Seishira Podcast at gmail.com. And uh, yeah, as always, thanks for listening. Yeah, appreciate it a lot. Bye.